Hey, I'm Stephen Billings, and thanks for checking out this message today. We're so glad you're here and would love to connect with you. You can text 97000 with the words River Connect to share any prayer requests or just to say hello. It would be so great to hear from you. Lastly, if you would like to give to the River Church today, you can give by texting the amount that you would like to give to 84321. You can also head to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the page as well. Thanks again for joining us, and I hope you have a blessed day. Isaiah chapter number 9, verse number 6, and we are continuing our series uh, looking uh, at this passage of Scripture here in Isaiah as the prophet is declaring that a Messiah is going to come, that a king is going to come. Isaiah is a prophet or a, a preacher, and God would tell him what to say, and he would deliver the message for God. And it was a time where a guy named Ahaz was the king. And Ahaz had abandoned the worship of God. He had become an idol worshiper. He had veered into some terrible practices, even up to human sacrifice, just a, a wicked, wicked king. And Isaiah and the people were urging him to go to God for a word or for a sign or for a message. And Ahaz refused. He wouldn't do it. And so finally, God sends Isaiah the prophet. And Isaiah says to the king, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Meaning, you will not ask for a sign, but God will give you a sign. And this will be the sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning God with us. And so this prophecy is given hundreds and hundreds of years before what we know is the Christmas story in the Gospels of the birth of Jesus. And so hundreds and hundreds of years prior, God says a miraculous thing is going to happen. A virgin is going to conceive and she'll have a son and that son will be God in the world. That son will be God with us, Emmanuel. And it gave great hope to the people. The people who were living in a time where the king was wicked. People that were living in a time of national upheaval. People that were living in a time of uncertainty. People that were living in a time where they felt that they could be invaded. All of these different things were happening in the context, the, the culture surrounding Isaiah chapter 7, 8, and 9. And so the, the details about this child are spoken of. You look over to Isaiah chapter number 9 and verse number 6. Isaiah says, For to us a child is born... To us, a son is given, meaning he'll be human, he'll be born like children are born, but he will not just be a human, he will be the son of God given into the world. Here is the gospel encapsulated in here, for God so loved the world that he gave, that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is the one and only way to receive the forgiveness of our sins and to receive the hope of eternal life in heaven. Jesus is that son that was given. The prophet Isaiah says, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called, meaning names or his character, who he is. He will be 
the wonderful counselor, meaning the wisdom of God come to earth. We looked at that a couple weeks ago. He'll be mighty God, Emmanuel. He'll be God with us. So he is the mighty God. And then for this week, he will be the everlasting father. One commentator said it this way, thinking about this passage. He said, when the people asked for a king, so years prior to this, they wanted a king like other nations. They had in mind that a continuing institution would provide them with security greater and more reassuring than the judges had, so that book of Judges in the Old Testament. But total security requires more even than this stop-and-go rule, meaning a king would come, things would go well, he'd be a good king, a bad king would go to the throne, and then things would go poorly. And so it was this roller coaster of up and down. But they wanted a king because they were looking for security, they were looking for reassurance, they were looking for stability. And the writer says that is only achieved in a king who reigns eternally. So the Messiah, Jesus, is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, and then he is called Everlasting Father. Hold your spot in Isaiah. Go to the left. Go to the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter number 68. Throughout the scripture, God is referred to as a father. I want to go to Isaiah, excuse me, to Psalm 68. And another passage in Psalms to see what kind of character that means. What does it mean when the scripture calls God the Father or the everlasting Father? Psalm 68 and verse number 5, speaking of God, it says, He is Father of the fatherless and protector of widows, is God in His holy habitation. In a, in a time and place, and this is not unique to this time, it's true across cultures and even now, those who did not have an advocate, particularly those who were fatherless or an orphan, they did not have someone to advocate for them, someone to protect them, someone to provide for them. A widow who did not have children to advocate or, or grown children to advocate or protect or guard her, they were susceptible to you know, religious leaders who would manipulate or, or, or national circumstances that would, um, you know, um, really abuse them or victimize them. And the psalmist here, David, says of God, his character is that he is a protector of those who do not have a protector. He, is, he becomes a father to those who are fatherless. He becomes a protector to the widows who need protection. That is God in his holy habitation. To the right a little bit to Psalm chapter 103. Psalm 103. Verse I want you to see verse number 13 especially, but we'll begin in verse number 10. I'd love to preach the whole psalm, but I cannot. This is of God, his character. David writing, he says, He, meaning God, does not deal with us according to our sins, 
nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. I love verse 14, for he knows our frame. He knows what we're made of. He remembers that we are dust. Meaning God, the infinite creator of the universe, the one who sustains all things. The Bible says, by him, through him, and to him are all things made that were made He does not deal with us according to our sin. He provides a way for forgiveness, and he deals with us, verse 13, as a father showing compassion to his children. Whenever we talk about God as father, that can be very triggering for different folks who maybe had a difficult or challenging experience with your own earthly father or a stepfather or the absence of a father. God is the perfect father, and he deals with us in a tender-hearted, compassionate way. When God introduces himself in the book of Exodus, this is what he says of himself. He says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger. God is not the father who is you have to tippy-toe around or feel like you're on eggshells all the time as he's going to explode with anger. The Bible says God is a God of mercy, a God who is gracious, a God who is slow to anger. He is a God abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's who God is. And so one of the ways that we see God in the scripture is we see him as a protecting father, and we see him as a providing father. You can hold your spot in Isaiah and flip into the New Testament to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter number 12. The Messiah will be Emmanuel, God in the flesh. He'll be the wonderful counselor. He'll be mighty God. He will be everlasting Father, meaning he will protect his people. He will provide for his people. He will also discipline his people. Hebrews chapter number 12, beginning in the second half of verse number 5. And this is a quotation from the book of Proverbs. Scripture says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Let's read the passage here, verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, 
then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So the Bible is saying here, discipline proves that God is your father, that you're a child of God. Yesterday, my wife and I, we went to the mall. And the moment we pulled in, we knew we had made a poor life decision. (laughs) So we're there at the mall, and it's just the two of us. And we needed to wrap up our Christmas shopping. Just a, a sidebar note, I was telling Jen yesterday, she said, hey, we're, she's like, I'm really ahead on wrapping. I said, that's really good. I said, hey, can you not save all the wrapping till Christmas Eve? Because it's exhausting for me to lay there on the bed and watch you wrap all the gifts. <laughs> Man, did I feel like an idiot there when that came out of my mouth. That's the truth, folks. Uh, so anyways, I'm being judged right now badly by some of you. Uh, supported by others, judged by some. So we were, we were wandering around the mall, and it's, of course, a zoo at the mall. And it's just the two of us. And, you know, it was about maybe 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, and you started to watch the... You started to watch children melt down. Like, I've been at the mall too long. My legs hurt. I'm hungry. I'm tired. I don't want to do this anymore. And so there's, there's screaming and crying, and in biblical terms, weeping and gnashing of teeth at the mall, you know? <laughs> And so these, these kids are walking around, and here's where I'm at. I'm, we're just holding hands, carrying bags, looking, going, oh, man, really, oh, that poor kid. Those parents should be better parents, that poor sweet baby. Give them a sucker, get them a smoothie. And the dad is like, shut up! You're going to be quiet! We're buying stuff for you! No, that didn't exactly happen, but that was going on in his head. I could see it. <laughs> but here's what was interesting. They weren't my kids. I didn't have to deal with them. Right, My kids are at home, and I thought, this is so wonderful. God bless you. Oh, another meltdown. God bless you. Don't have to deal with that. Don't have to deal with that. Because they're not my kids, right? And we all have, you know, if you have little kids or if you've had little kids, you know what it's like to have a, a meltdown, a temper tantrum. But in those moments, I didn't have to deal with them because I'm not the dad. I'm not the parent. What the Scripture is saying is here is discipline proves that someone belongs to the Lord. And so the writer of Hebrews warns here, if you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are an illegitimate, child. You're an illegitimate child and not sons. You don't belong to the Lord. Let me just pause here because I think this is a, a point that's serious to make. There are a couple things that the Bible teaches that proves that you belong to the Lord, that you've been born again, that you are saved. The first one is spiritual fruit, what we would call spiritual fruit. That would be the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit of God lives in you and produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That would be the fruit of the Spirit. We see that in Galatians 5. But what if a believer isn't bearing fruit, meaning they aren't walking in the Spirit? There is another proof And it's called discipline. Or sometimes in a more classical sense, it's called chastening. Meaning, when my kids were younger and they needed to be disciplined, it was my responsibility to do so in love. I couldn't delegate that and say, hey, I'm really not in the mood to discipline my kid. I know they're not your kids, but will you do that? You'd be like, no, and you're an idiot. That would be preposterous to say. 
So discipline proves that someone belongs to the Lord. Let me say this in all the tenderness and love for each person, uh, each person in this room, the tenderness and love I have for you. If you can live in open rebellion against the word of God and not feel any discipline or chastening from the Lord, the truth is you don't belong to the Lord. He's not your heavenly father. And I don't say that out of a spirit of pride or a spirit of I'm better than you. I say that out of deep love and affection for you. Because there's lots of people who believe they're a Christian because they were born into a Christian family. Or because they got christened or baptized or confirmed or they went to Sunday school or they got baptized or they were born into a family that was a member of a church. A believer, someone who belongs to the Lord, will have the everlasting father and one of the proofs they will know that is when they're in rebellion, their father in love will come for them will discipline them. And it will be done so in love. We see that in verse six. The Lord disciplines the one he loves. Verse nine. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? Meaning our earthly fathers, verse 10, they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness that those who, um, uh, to those who have been trained by it. So what do we see in the character of God as the everlasting father? We see a God who protects. We see a God who provides. We see a heavenly father, an everlasting father who disciplines And so we have to ask this question as we hinted at just a moment ago, ago, are we part of the family of God? Now, you can leave Hebrews and go to the left and go to the book of Romans. Romans chapter number eight. Romans chapter number 8, verse number 14. Paul says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, or sons and daughters, children of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So this is an adoption. We are born outside of the family of God, and that's the marvelous message of Isaiah chapter 7, 8, and 9. A child will be born. A son is given. The government will rest upon his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So this is what happens. God 
makes a way for us to be adopted into his family through the work of Christ. And so Jesus, yes, he is the king of kings and lord of lords, but the Bible uses these tender terms of family, of father, of siblings, of brothers, of sisters, these tender, personal, uh, you know, near relational terms the Bible uses to help us understand God's relationship to us, that God through Christ has made a way for us to be adopted. And I love what verse 17 says, if children, not stepchildren, not secondary children, not forgotten children, if children, then heirs, meaning what belongs to the father belongs to the children. So Everything belongs to God, heirs of God, and we are co-heirs or fellow heirs with Christ. So God makes it possible for us to be adopted into the family of God. Now leave Romans and go to the left to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter number 12. Jesus himself would use some very tender terms when speaking about his students or his disciples or his followers. He would use language of family. Matthew chapter 12 and verse number 46. Matthew says, while he was still speaking to the people... This is Jesus speaking. His mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. So a messenger comes to Jesus while he's teaching and said, hey, your mom and your brothers are outside. They want to talk to you. Jesus replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Now you might be thinking Jesus is being rude. He's making a point here. Jesus always honored his father and mother, his earthly father and his mother, Mary. He says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Jesus is not saying, hey, Peter is my mom. He's not being bizarre or ridiculous. He's saying, who is my family? This is my family. He says, for whoever, verse 50, does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, that's my family. That's that's who belongs with me. And because I am with the Father, they belong to the family of God. Jesus is not saying those who do good works belong to the family of God. Jesus is saying because they belong to the family of God, they will do good works. There will be an internal transformation that shows itself on the outside. So God has demonstrated his father as protector, provider. He's the one who disciplines those he loves. He's the one who adopts us into his family. Jesus speaks in these family terms. And I'm going to take you to one more story, and we'll be done. Go to the right and go to the Gospel of Luke, Luke 15. Luke 
a story you may know, be familiar with, and it's a story you may not know. And to be honest with you, if you've never heard this story, man, I'm happy to be the first one to read it to you and share it with you. It's a story we know as we call it the prodigal son. And it's in a series of stories that Jesus tells. And we call those stories parables. So Jesus is sitting, and he's sitting with a very um, diverse group of people. He's sitting with the religious leaders, who are known as the Pharisees, and he's also sitting with uh, what are called the tax collectors and sinners. So people that are known sinners, people that have made a disaster of their life, and everybody in the community knows it. The tax collectors are traitors to the Jewish people. So this is, this is the extreme ends. And so Jesus tells them several stories. First of all, he starts with the story of the lost sheep, and then he tells a story about the lost coin. And then he goes into a story that I'd love to spend the next little bit on, but I don't have time to. But it's a real cliffhanger. He doesn't really bring the story to a conclusion. It just kind of has this to-be-continued feel to the end of it. Verse number 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. So very succinctly, Jesus gets right into this father, two sons, the younger son, who was only entitled to a third of the estate. So the father, traditionally, when the father died, the older son would get two-thirds of the estate. The younger son would get one-third of the estate. But the father had to die first. So the son comes to him, the younger son, and says, Dad, I've been waiting around long enough. I thought you'd be dead by now. No joke. Can I get what's coming to me when you die? So the Bible says, Jesus telling the story, he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, think about this, a third of this father's estate, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of his citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything to eat. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. Now, he's not talking about slaves, the people that are owned, that are protected, live in his father's house. He's talking about day laborers. He's like, even the guys who hired, they're not on a contract. They aren't protected in my father's home as a slave. The people that he goes and hires just for a day labor, they have plenty of bread, but I am starving here. I perish here with hunger. Young man says, I will rise, go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off. Now, this is a parable. These aren't real people. It's not like you can go to heaven and be like, hey, I want to meet Jesus, and the second on my list is the prodigal son. This is a, this is a fictional story that Jesus is creating that people could access for all time. 
So the young man goes and he blows through a third of his father's estate. He's broke, spent everything, has nothing, and he's starving. Famine would have been devastating at this time. And he says, what am I doing? I, I, I can go, I'm going to go back to my father, and here's the prepared speech. Father, and I'll paraphrase, I've done wrong, I've sinned before you, I'm not worthy to be called your son, can you hire me like one of your day laborers? Basically, I'll pay back what I have taken from you as a day laborer, and, and I know that I'll be able to feed, I'll be able to eat. I don't plan on living on the estate. I'm not worthy to be called a son. I just want to pay back what I wrecked here, and I don't want to starve to death. So fresh from the pig pen, he makes his way back to the father. Verse 20, he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off. I just want to pause here. I just want to give you a a sneak peek. This parable is about the father. There's two sons. The main character is the father. And when we talk about God being a father who protects and God a father who provides and a father who disciplines and a father who makes it possible to adopt us out of the brokenness of sin... Jesus speaks in those familiar terms. Here we see an illustration in Luke 15 of the heart of the Father. We see the love of the Father. We see the compassion of the Father illustrated in this story that Jesus is telling. Jesus is giving you and I a glimpse of the heart of our Heavenly Father, of our everlasting Father, as Isaiah 9, 6 says it. Here's this rebellious, disrespectful, smelly, reckless young man coming back to his father with a prepared speech. Look at verse 20. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him. I just want to pause here and let you know this. God sees you. Sometimes pastors will use that, and I think there's some validity to that in a a serious, almost scary way. The fear of the Lord is important to know that God sees what we're doing, but also God sees exactly where you're at today. God sees your hurt. God sees your struggles. God sees your pain. God sees what you're going through. God sees the things that you've wrestled with. God sees your regrets. God sees your hopes. God sees your dreams. God sees your mistakes. God sees all of those different things. And look at how the father feels towards the, the reckless son. He feels compassion. Not only does he feel compassion in the story, Jesus says of the father that he ran and embraced him and kissed him. The son said to the father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The speech doesn't continue because the father cuts the son's speech off. He doesn't need to hear anymore. The father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, bring the fatted calf and kill it, let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He is lost and he is found. They began to celebrate. That's the heart of the father. 
The heart of the father is looking and waiting for the sinner to return to the father. And the father is going to do what? When the sinner comes back, he doesn't have to earn it because he can't earn it. The son was foolish and broken to think he could earn the father's favor or pay back what he had taken from the father. But all he had to say was, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That is repentance. That's part of receiving the grace and mercy of the father, the receiving, responding to the gospel message. The gospel message of Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sin and Jesus rose from the dead. How do we respond to that? I'm a sinner and I'm not worthy to be saved. And God says, oh, let me lavish my grace upon you. I will run to you. I will throw my arms around you. I will kiss you. I will embrace you and I will celebrate your return to the father. So look at what's happening here. The father puts a robe on him, puts a ring on his hand, puts shoes on his feet, kills the fatted calf, eats, let us celebrate and eat. This, my son, he's, he was dead. He's alive again. He's lost and he is found. Come and celebrate. What's being celebrated? Not just the son's return, but the father's acceptance of the son and that they have been reunited. What's being celebrated is reconciliation. That the sinner is being welcomed back into the father's home. The fattened calf was killed. That would have meant the whole community would have been invited to the party. I want you to see in this story the everlasting father's heart for you. There's one cultural note that I think is interesting. In the story, Jesus says the father ran. So dress code was slightly different. They would have a robe on, and Tim Keller points this out. Kids would run, and other people would run, but a, a man of this type of prestige would not run. To, to run meant that you had to lift up that robe and run. Your legs would be seen. It would be scandalous but he runs because he's welcoming the son back. But there's a second son. Verse 25, now his older brother was in the field. And as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. He said to him, your brother has come, your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Do you see that? The father has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. The older son refused to go in to the father's party. I want you to see this. This is not just a tale of one prodigal lost son. This is a tale of two lost sons. One left the fellowship with the father and went into sin. One left the father's fellowship because he was mad at the father's grace. We would talk about that as self-righteousness. He refuses to go into the father's party. What do we see the father do? Verse 
Verse 28, his father came out and entreated him. I was listening to a sermon by Tim Keller and he made this quote about home. And he said, home isn't a place. He said, home is a person. Notice the story is not about this is what the house looked like and this was how awesome the estate was and all these different things. It was about reconciliation with the father, a return to the father. The one son was far from fellowship with the father and he returned, he repented and the father restored their relationship. This son didn't want to go into the father's party where where a sinner was restored. His brother was restored in fellowship with his father. He was on the outside. So what does the father do? The father goes out and entreats him. The first son is a picture of the tax collectors and sinners. The second son, the older brother, is a picture of the Pharisees and the scribes, the ones who felt like they were better than others, the ones who felt like they had earned God's favor. So the father goes out and entreats him. Verse 29, he said to the father, look, notice the lack of respect, very abrasive. Look, these many years I have served you, I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son, notice he doesn't say you're my brother, when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. He said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours, meaning I gave your brother the third that he's going to get after I die. So everything I have right now is you're going to get. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this year brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And you could just almost write at the end there, to be continued. Will you come into the Father's house? Will you celebrate? When I was a kid, I remember getting these little books called Choose Your Own Adventure. Ever read one of those before? And uh, so, you, you know, you read, and if you want to go this direction in the story, you, wanna, you turn to so-and-so page, and you turn there, and you choose your own adventure. Uh, I suppose it was video games before video games were cool. I don't know. I don't know if that dates me or what. The end of Luke 15 is kind of like choose your own adventure. God has made it possible for you and I to be part of the family of God through the work of Christ. He said, I will be your father. I'll protect you. I'll provide for you. I'll discipline you. I'll adopt you into the family of God. All you need to do is turn from sin and come into the father's house. Romans 10, 9 says, if you'll confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's the gospel message. That's the good news for every person in here. It doesn't matter how young you are, how old you are. It doesn't matter how religious you are or non-religious you are. God loves you and God has made a way for you to be restored in fellowship with him. We celebrate that. 
This is a little bit ago. The kids' choir stood here and sang, go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. And that's good news because God has made a way for us to be restored to him. Let's pray together.